Yes, you, you lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show, where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, Good afternoon, Mr. Bustin. Good afternoon, Martin. How are you? I am really well, thank you. How are you? Good, good. It's good to talk to you. It's been too long. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It's been a really long time. Um, man, thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. Um, I'm sure this is going to be really interesting. Like you say, it's a long time since we've spoken, but I'm sure you're going to have something of interest to say to my minuscule little audience, minuscule but growing little audience. Um, about what it is that you're busy with now, which I understand is you've gone kind of full bore into um, public speaking. So mm -hmm. I think we're going to be speaking about that today. Um, how are you? Are you well? You're looking well. I'm very well. Yeah, I'm good. I'm in a good place at the moment. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, just sort of enjoying some sun at last in the UK. Yes, that's good. That's really good. Okay, cool. So as you know, there's only kind of four or five questions. Um, but it is quite conversational, so it will keep us busy for like an hour and 15 minutes typically. Um, so the questions are, how are you qualified to talk to us about public speaking? Um, who are your clients? How do you get them? And what is it that you do that is of value to them? Kind of how you feel about public speaking. I think it's kind of evolving, as we've been alluding to already in this conversation. It happens differently now in, where are we, July 2021 than it did before March 2020. Um, so how you kind of feel about that evolution. And then the last thing is kind of your recommendation for people in this evolving situation. So if you're comfortable with that, mm -hmm. you are? Yeah. Okay, good. Right. So how are you, Steve Bustin, qualified to talk to us about public speaking? Because I'm either on stage myself or I'm teaching other people how to do it would be the glib answer. Um, or in the last 18 months, I'm either on screen myself or teaching other people how to do it. So I work as a professional speaker and event compare and public speaking coach. So I'm on stage a lot, uh, either speaking, delivering keynotes, workshops, those sorts of things, or as a compare and MC, so hosting events. So a lot of people see me on stage and then they're like, mm, you're good at that. Can you teach me how to do it? So that's really how my business grew. Uh, when I started to speak at events and people would start saying, oh, could you come and speak at my event? And actually, could you teach my team how to speak like that? And could you give me some coaching? Uh, yes. I suppose my other, the other creds, I mean, I'm a, I'm a journalist by background. I'm, I'm ex-BBC. So I'm used to, you know, I've always been a communicator. And right back to school, I was one of those kids who always wanted to stand up in assembly and you know say things and talk about things. I've never been shy in, in talking. So it was, you know, it's sort of the natural career I suppose I've been always been waiting for in a way. I did stand up for a few years um, and gigged around and things, which was actually really useful training in terms of being able to play any audience and read an audience and different sizes of rooms and those sorts of things. And I suppose then, you know, as I've as I've progressed through, I've actually just finished an 18 month term as national president of the Professional Speaking Association, which is the um, the trade body for professional speaking here in the UK. And I'm board member of the Global Speakers Federation, 
And I'm also the author of a book, The Authority Guide to Presenting and Public Speaking. Um, so, yeah, that's out there in the wild. It's on available on Amazon and, and Audible, which was interesting. Actually, enough, I, interestingly, I sell far more copies on Audible than I do on Amazon. Um, so the audio book, which I recorded, um, sells much better. So anybody who happens to have a book to their name, if you haven't already done it, make sure you've got an audio book out there because that's where the demand is right now, particularly for business books. Fantastic. Good. I'm a little bit embarrassed I asked you how you're qualified to talk to us about public speaking now. You are clearly, clearly, clearly very well qualified to talk to us about public speaking. Okay, and I'd forgotten about your stand-up comedy because mm. I did that a little, I, I did that a little yeah. bit as well after you. So, okay, so that's interesting. That's, that's really interesting. And I, normally have, I did have a question, but you said so much. Um, you are so qualified to talk to us about public speaking. So you are, okay, so just for context, when I mm. first knew you, this was probably around 2005, 2006, something like that, yeah. you yeah. were uh, running a PR agency and you were talking, uh, teaching people how to present to the media and those kinds of things. So this no. isn't a huge evolution that you've gone on uh, no. to be focused almost entirely on that. No, I mean, I don't, I don't do PR anymore. Um, I do actually have a, I have a second book to my name, which is the authority guide to PR for small business. Um, but actually I, that's, that's in my past. I don't, I don't do PR. People still ask me occasionally for, for advice and things, which I'm always happy to give. I do still do a lot of media training. So I do train people how to appear on camera, um, how to give interviews. And of course that's been quite interesting in the last 18 months as, as the sort of on camera stuff and the on stage stuff have suddenly become one and the same. So that's been yes. a quite interesting uh, sort of melding of, of, of those two parts of my business. But it's, I think it's, it came about because when I was, like well, I was worked for the BBC for many years, came out of the BBC and went into an in-house PR role for a dot-com back in 2000. Uh, that, as dot-coms will want to do at that point, went bust um, after 18 months. And I went freelance initially, but I always did a mixture of PR and freelance journalism and and speaking because I was I was an early adopter on social media. I was one of the people who helped introduce well, basically the internet and then social media into the BBC newsroom. Uh, and then and so people kept saying, "Oh, would you come and speak to our team about how we could be using social media? Virtually, what is social media?" Uh, so I was that was really my topic. I then got um, somebody then said, "Oh, would you come and speak at our conference about this?" I was like, yeah, fine, I can do that. Somebody else saw me there and was like, oh, could you come and speak at our conference about that? And then somebody came up and said, and do you teach presentation skills? And I was like, well, I don't, but I do now. Um, you know, because I, and I thought, yeah, actually I can't, you know, I know what I'm doing here. I know, I know what makes a good speech or a bad speech. So I then started moving into that. So I always was doing the PR, a bit of journalism, freelance, and then um, to training. It was predominantly training and a bit of speaking at conferences. I can't got to a point about crikey, 2015, maybe, where no, but a little bit earlier than that, actually, 2013, 14, where I was working with a business coach, actually, Julia Chantere, who I'm, I'm sure you know. Um, yeah. And she said to me, which bit of your business is making you happy? And I was like, without hesitation, it was the training and speaking, speaking. And she said, and she said, you always talk about PR with such a downer. She said, why on earth are you still doing it? And I was like, you're right. So actually, that's when I fired my last PR client um, and went into the training, speaking, coaching full time. So it's been a, yeah, it's been a, a, a journey to then grow that side of the business to make sure people were aware that this is what I was 
speaking on. Um, so I do quite a lot of public speaking about public speaking, which is a bit meta, um, you know, and people are almost inviting people to critique me while I'm speaking to them as an, in an audience. Uh, but it's, I love what I do. I love being able to work with people who are nervous, unsure, unconfident, don't feel they're getting a message across, or people who just want to get themselves out on the speaker circuit, maybe to promote their business. And actually being able to work with them and, and help them hone their content, hone their performance, hone their delivery, and then get out and, and, and deliver it to an audience and see the response you can get, that's a joy. I love doing it. Okay, that is a joy. I'm sure that's a joy. So there's something which might be a little bit of an aside from where we're going, but I am interested in, which is kind of the evolution of media that's happened in the last 15 years with social media um, because I remember we were presenting one day for Sussex Enterprise up in Horsham and um, it was about social media and my pitch at that time was kind of like you know the media you used to have to pay for media now it's free so basically fill your boots you don't have to pay advertising agencies you don't have to pay for space you can create your own media you can step closer to your customer and this audience turned on us really badly and they were saying like, you can't, you know, like basically you need the media to make sure that you're presented well is I think their argument. I think it was like an orchestrated attack actually <laughs> is what happened. Um, but um, that evolution is really interesting, I think. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. So for example, in PR, like historically, you would have been saying to people if you get the opportunity to engage with the media this is how you should engage whereas since social media it's like it's not an if you get the opportunity the opportunity is there for all of us now so how do you engage is that interesting or not interesting oh it or? is yeah i mean what's interesting is we are all now journalists and publishers and editors you know you are in doing this interview you are making journalistic decisions about the questions you want to ask about the content you want us to generate and how you're going to use that. So actually, you can reach an audience. It's interesting earlier you said, you know, a minuscule audience. Actually, I think people who have got a small, focused, targeted audience are in a much stronger position than people who've just got this huge, broad audience that doesn't necessarily actually you know, respond to what they want to do. Um, so, yeah, the media has changed in as much as we're all now in control of our own message far more. That doesn't mean the, 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 what we, you know, the mainstream media, the old, if you like, old media, uh, is dead and, and buried at all but now you know you look at the rise of the influencer uh and you know how we can now reach very targeted markets by going for a really targeted influencer now it's not quite the same it's not true pr because often the influencers want to be paid if they're you know if they're doing something that's, that's promoting um but the, yeah you can now put your own media out to your own audience and it doesn't have to be mediated and i think one one of the ways of exemplifying this is if you look at the celebrity magazines you know heat take a break um all those are now all those sort of celeb mags that 10 years ago 15 years ago were huge you know they were on everybody's desk they were being widely read all this sort of stuff because that was how that was how we got celebrity news and gossip Whereas all of a sudden that changed really with Twitter when celebrities realized they didn't, they could actually reach their audiences direct. They didn't have to go through, you know, and try and sell an exclusive to, you know, the mail on Sunday or, or heat or whoever. 
So actually, those magazines now really struggle because why do we need to buy a magazine to read about our favorite celebrities when we can follow them on Twitter or Instagram or whatever and get what they're doing now? We can get our fix of celebrity news and gossip right now. Now, I'm not a huge fan of celebrity news and gossip, but you see what I mean? It's it's that thing where, where journalists used to mediate what went to an audience. That's gone. Journalists now having to respond and react to what an audience want. And actually, a lot of these celebrities, businesses, brands, they can all go direct to their audience and it's cut out the middleman, the journalist. So I think a lot of PR agencies now, if you talk to them, you know, they're spending far more time talking to influencers than they are talking to journalists. So, yeah, it has that, that media landscape has changed massively. I think it's about to change again because I think we're about to start seeing the regulation of social media platforms because, you know, you only have to look at the hate that was spewed out of Twitter after the Euro finals the other night. And I don't think that the... I don't think Twitter will be allowed to, to, to host that sort of content and take no responsibility for it for much longer. I think we're going to see regulation probably in the US and, and in, through the EU first before it happens in the UK, where these platforms start to become accountable and responsible for what other people are posting on them. And actually will be treated far more like publishers than than at the moment than they are at the moment. Because at the moment, people they just go, oh, well, you know our users decide what they post, but actually I think they're about to start finding themselves being regulated. So they have to take responsibility for what their users post. Yes. Well, Trump wanted to do this, didn't he? And then he lost the election. So it's not happened yet. And I think they are publishers. I think it's about time they were held to account, especially for that vile stuff that happens after it seems every football match. Um, Actually, just pick up what you said about Trump. Trump's a perfect example of this. You know, he very rarely gave press conferences. He very rarely gave interviews. Because he didn't have to. Why allow a journalist to edit or, or you know, not necessarily twist, but you know, to 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 judge what's what's the, the worthy message when you can go direct to your audience via Twitter? And it was why he was so successful. And yes. I'm often asked when I'm teaching you know communication stuff, people say, oh, you know, what do you think of Trump? And I my answer is, while I intensely dislike the man and his politics, he's a brilliant communicator. He understands how to communicate with an audience. And he was very focused on his audience. Most brands have their audience and then they have the sort of fringes where they can reach new people. Whereas he didn't even care about the fringes. He just, it was his audience. That was who he was talking to, sod everybody else. And that's one of the reasons he was so successful. Yes. And I think that is interesting. And this is what I was teaching like right at the beginning of social media, because I came from media, not I came from like the commercial side sales rather than um, journalism or writing or anything like that. Um, but this is what I was teaching is I was teaching people build your audience. Like basically you don't have to go through these middlemen anymore. You don't have to go through mm-hmm. ad agencies. You don't have to go through journalists. You don't have to go through magazines or radio stations or whatever. You can build your own audience and you can step into the media's shoes. It's why I was, why, why I was telling them. Yeah. But I think that's a, there's been an evolution since then also because now you have to pay for it again. You know, whereas there was a window maybe 2007, 2013, where you really could make hay. 2013, they closed the door and now it, it is about paying. Except, mm. I suppose, with Twitter. I don't know, Twitter aren't, Twitter aren't, t- Twitter don't have these algorithms like Facebook or Instagram where they're deciding what people see still, I suppose. No, and you pay, I mean, on Twitter, you can pay for an advert. It's, but it's, yeah, it's, it is, it's just a slightly different beast. I mean, they haven't monetized their content in quite the same way. Right. Okay, good. So that's interesting. 
that is interesting and i think you're right they are about to get regulated and it is going to change and that's going to be interesting again um so i want to talk about i've got a friend who calls what's gone on with social media and the internet the great 21st century publishing scandal Mm -hmm. because basically businesses like facebook have two billion contributors contributors and they've never paid any of those people a, a single penny for it and i think they're going they're getting into trouble now facebook i think they're struggling because of that um so but we've all been programmed now to become content producers mm. so whatever we do in our business we kind of have to be as part of the marketing marketing process we have to be content producers yeah and that comes i think closer to what what it is that you do which is teaching people how to present and how to interview and how to do yeah uh, am i right I or am i wrong no absolutely i mean because actually you know a lot of my time is spent helping people on their message it's not just about actually how you stand and deliver on stage or how you speak into a camera or a microphone it's about what you want to say it's about to generating your content and you know even this you know you and i are sat here generating content um so and i just pick up on what you said about facebook I, what i think the mistake I think a lot of people make, particularly with Facebook and Instagram as well, is people think that we are their customers. We're not. We are their product. We are what they sell. They make yes. money off us, you know, because they yes, sell yes. our data and, and access to our timelines to advertisers. Um, and I think that's one of the things people have to bear in mind. Um, you know, I'm I'm far more aware now of how of, the, of, the, of some of the perils of social media because i come i don't know whether you're familiar with this martin from my social I media am. feed i love this <laughs> i'm yeah so i'm the face of an online international dating scam um uh for my sins uh so somebody stole about 25 photos off my facebook profile and uses them on dating sites to try to set up well they set up fake profiles to try to scam rich elderly women out of money now, the ultimate irony being that I'm married to a man, so these women really aren't my type. Um, <laughs> um, actually, the worst bit about the whole thing is he sends out my photos, this scammer, and tells the women I'm 68. Um, so, <laughs> thanks. Uh, but it has made me far more aware of, you know, when, you are when you're playing on social media, you are playing in somebody else's playground. You yes, do not yeah. own your social media profile. They can take it down like that. You know, you don't own once you've put something on social media, even if your settings are relatively secure, it's out in the public domain. You know, even other if people you are the can. president of the United States. Yeah, it can go like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, that, and that was, you know, and that was just a classic example, wasn't it? To see that in action. But any of us, yes. you know, I, I have friends who have, you know, have had their profile switched off for various reasons. Um, so, you know, you are playing in somebody else's playground. You do not own your social media profile. And people have to bear that in mind. Yes. No, they really do. And that's, yeah, I, I mean, that's what I teach now is basically, yeah, you don't own it and it could be gone in a second. And you can't be too reliant on it because, yeah, it can be gone in a second. Okay. So that's all very cool and interesting. There's another mm -hmm. thing. Like, I think you're number 17 or 18 in this little process. Um, and if there is a theme... Mm. at all the theme is the performative nature of sales marketing pr people mm -hmm. like everyone i'm speaking to like even joe joe was like three ago she did she didn't do stand-up but she did some she did um, improv she, she did, did improv. improv yeah which i've done a lot of as well yeah 
Yes. I spoke to Jim Cunliffe. He also got on the stand-up comedy thing. Everyone's either a DJ or was an actor or a singer or a something. And then they came to this thing that we do now. And it seems to me that presenting is definitely like the final destination of that. Like if you couldn't be a singer or a DJ or an actor, the next best thing is probably to be a presenter. And mm. I just find it interesting that this is so common. And I find it interesting, like how much of sales marketing PR is just performative. You know, how much of it is just about being able to put on a show for people and that, and yeah. that attracting people who are just show people. Yeah, there's certainly, I mean, certainly in the speaking world, there's a lot of frustrated performers, definitely. There's a lot of people who, you know, start off on the, either as a magician or possibly as, a, as an actor or, or cabaret artiste. So, yeah, there are definitely a lot of performers out there. Um, beyond that, I think, yes, there is an element. When you're setting yourself up as a, as a, as a dare I say, a business expert, you're setting yourself up to say, I can help you with your sales and marketing. I can help get you into the media. There's a, an element, and it's not, I don't want to say it's BS, but you have to be confident in your ability to deliver that. And sometimes you there is an element of having to persuade. You know, you want any sales call, there's an element of persuasion to it. So you do have to have the chutzpah, there's the word, to be able to say to somebody, I can get you into the media or I can get your brand out to the target market you want to reach. And you, yeah, because you and I both know you can't polish a turd. You know, if some, if you, if you're trying to promote a product that isn't very good, it doesn't matter how good you are as a marketer or a PR person or whatever, nobody's going to bite. So there is an element of needing to persuade people that yeah you have the confidence to to be able to do this because to as you know to you know if you're selling stuff on the phone or if you're ringing and pitching to a journalist or you know you're trying to you're you're trying to do a deal there is an element of having to perform having to speak the right way find the right words know understand how to persuade understand how people are going to react understanding human behavior so yeah, there's definitely a, a, an element of performance to it. And sales and marketing, yeah, I, I'm trying to avoid saying it's all bullshit, but there is an element to which you have to believe your own hype to be able to go out there day after day and say, I can do this for you. Or do you disagree? No, I think I really agree. I think, I think what we're doing in sales and marketing is polishing a turd. Mm. Like if the product is sales and marketing, and that's what we have to present and we have to try and convince people that, you know, it's working and it's worthy of investment and it needs, do, do you know, whatever, or it's all going fine and don't fire me. Hmm. Then I think, and I, this is only, I'm only realizing this like right now, is that is essentially what you're doing if you're in sales and marketing is you are polishing a turd. Because hmm. nobody, because the, the value of sales and marketing isn't recognizable enough. If you don't put some Shazam on it, <laughs> you're yeah. going to get fired because every every advert is basically saying hey look at me i'm great buy me that's yes what it's doing and i mean that's one of the things i always used to teach when i was teaching pr is that was the difference between advertising and editorial is editorial has a third party endorsement implicit in it that says hey look at these guys they're great yes and that's always the difference and you know so we believe when somebody else tells us something more than if we hear it straight in the horse's mouth and i think that's true if, yeah it's, and that's true sometimes of our of, of us of ourselves you know i think i think it's harder sometimes for us to believe that we are good enough that we are good at what we do until somebody else says you're great at this um so i think it, yeah, it happens on quite a personal level as well as you know brand level so yes. yeah there is an element of it 
But um, what I'm saying is slightly different, I think, because I'm saying that everyone knows that, or everyone thinks that sales and marketing is shit. Hmm. You know, so that's why it's the turd that has to be polished. And that's why it's attracting performers, because this is what gives us the stage to, um, to perform. So yeah. I, think, I, I think it's a percentage. I think it's somewhere around 38% performative. <laughs> like, like the way I am, the way I'm kind of trying to change the world to see it, it's is much more. What's the word? Quantifiable. Like you yeah. can see pounds and pence. This is how your marketing is performing, but the truth is that it's not seen like that at all. So unless you've got someone there giving it jazz hands, you're going to fire them. <laughs> That's yeah. what I think. Yeah. Okay. Good. I like that. I really like that. Okay. Cool. So that brings us then to what it is that you do and kind of how you do it. So who are your clients? You've given us an indication of how you win your clients. Um, how is it that you deliver value for your clients? So there's kind of three things there. Who you work with, what it is you do with them, how they get, how they get to find you. Yeah. I mean, well, just to, to pick up the point about how I find them, um, I'm very lucky in, in many ways because I get paid to go and stand on a stage and speak. And that's actually also my best business development tool. So, yes. you know, I, I'm aware that people then will come up afterwards and say, oh, could you, you know, can you work with me and, and how, you know, how can we get you involved in our business? Um, so who do I work with? I have probably three main areas at the moment. I do a lot of work in the ph pharmaceutical sector, pharmaceutical, healthcare, um, medical. That area is, is a big one for me. Um, I do a lot of work or a fair amount of work with accountants, particularly through accountancy bodies. So I do a lot of work through the Healthcare Financial Management Association and the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants and all this sort of stuff. Don't ask me how I got there. That just came to me. Um, and the third act, act sector is agencies. And actually, that's probably my biggest area at the moment. I do a lot of work with the owners of marketing agencies, PR agencies, SEO agencies, design agencies, etc. A, to help them with their pitching because a lot of them are struggling and particularly they've struggled to move their pitches online and to try and pitch effectively on camera. So I've done a lot of work over the last 18 months with agencies who are struggling with their pitch. But B, it's also agency owners who are recognizing that they need to be seen as thought leaders and movers and shakers in their industry. So they want to be invited to speak at the next big marketing conference. And like, my competitors are being asked to speak, why aren't I? And that's often comes down to because you're not putting yourself out there as a speaker um, and you haven't spent the time to learn how to do it and, and and deliver it properly and you know so that's what i can go in and help them with so yeah agencies are a big sector for me at the moment okay good right so that's really interesting because pharmaceuticals are in a crisis of authority well is that too much of a stretch the authority yeah. of pharmaceuticals is being challenged at the moment let's just say that yeah because it is global pitch going on that everyone should have this these vaccinations so that's yeah. what occurs to me when you say pharmaceuticals yep i mean i think that's true and certainly the pharmaceutical sector is is in flux at the moment i mean there's a the pharmaceutical sector is one of those weird sectors where there's constant takeovers buyouts mergers etc etc um smaller brands being swallowed up by the big brands and you know you have got these maybe four or five mega brands now across the pharmaceutical sector um interestingly then when you have some of the what you think of the smaller brands you realize actually they're just sub brands of, of, of the big boys um so yeah pharmaceutical is an odd an interesting one at the moment. i mean most of my work in pharmaceutical has either been a board level or working what with their key opinion leaders their kols um who are basically are doctors who they they work a lot with doctors 
either to sometimes to promote particular brands, but often actually just to promote a specific type of treatment. And I'll give you an example. I've done a lot of work with doctors around the flu vaccine. Now, interestingly, this was all obviously pre-pandemic, um, but I coached a lot of very senior doctors on how to go out and speak to patient groups about why they should be getting the flu vaccine or to speak to their funding bodies about why they should be paying for the flu vaccine. Uh, so it's, yeah, and doctors are not on the whole natural presenters. That's just not, it's not, doesn't tend to be in their skill set. Um, so I do quite a lot of work with those. So pharma is, a, is an odd one. It's also very, very um, compliance regulated. So there are lots of very strict rules about what you can and can't say and what you can and can't do and how you can mention things and things. So um, that's been an interesting one. I've had to get my head around a lot of that to understand what people can and can't stand on a stage and say. Um, and what claims you can make and, you know, how you have to evidence things. So it's, yeah, it is a, it is a strange sector. Um, okay. Okay. So that's interesting. The last chat I did was with Melanie Farmer. I don't know if you know Melanie Farmer, do you? She was up Not at sure. Sync for a long time. Yeah, right. About 15 years ago, but she's yeah. now back in Australia and she's working with the health authorities on these exactly these kinds of issues. So like they're addressing not uh, they've been involved in pandemic type stuff more recently. Um, but yeah, OK, so that's interesting. OK, so that's your first group is pharma. Mm. The second group is accountants. Yeah, so that's interesting because what accountant has anything of any interest to say? Well, OK, and it's interesting. A lot of accountants come into my sessions and go, oh, God, I'm just, you know, people don't want to hear what I want to say. And it's like, actually, you are often the most important person at the table because you control the budget. What you say dictates every other decision that's taken in that meeting. So a lot of my work with accountants is getting them to understand the importance of what it is they have to deliver. Now, the problem is, without wanting to overgeneralize, most accountants are not necessarily the most charismatic of people. It's not a, it's not a profession that, that tends to uh, appeal to those who maybe who are more sort of performative in, in, their, in their natures. Um, so a lot of accountants, again, will say, oh, God, you know, what I do is dull. What I've got to say is dull. And it's like, actually, no, it's not. If you're in a board meeting presenting the figures, every other decision that board makes is based on those figures. So you are the most important person in the room. The problem they have is they then they're so they tend to be so wedded to the data it's trying to get them to present in a way that everybody else can understand you know as you i'm sure you know accountancy has its own jargon it has its own approach that not if, if non-accountants often struggle with so it's often finding ways of helping them to explain the financial position or what this what this data says in a way that everybody else can understand um so we quite often end up using analogies we end up using you know focusing on what is the crux piece of data that we need to talk about you know a lot of accountants will put up a spreadsheet and then they'll pick out you know one or two cells from an enormous spreadsheet and it's like no no let's scrap the spreadsheet let's just concentrate on the figures in those cells why is that figure important how do we tell its story what context do we need to put across so it's a it's a challenge um but it's yeah it's it's you know it's a it's an interesting sector and you know, and again, I'm, I enjoy being able to help people discover that actually they can present and that what they're saying is interesting. And in fact, what they're saying is important. So it's, yeah, it's a fun, fun, fun journey to go on with them. Okay, cool. So that's interesting because that's what I think. You're in business to make money. Hmm. And the only people who really know if you're making, the only people who know if you're making money are the accountants. Yeah. So um, I've always thought that accountants should be much more interesting 
but I've always found them so wedded to the compliance. Which they have to be. They have to be in the Yes. You know, they can't start making claims a bit like the pharmaceuticals. They can't make claims that aren't true. They can't exaggerate. But, you know, they have to be. And it's all about the data. The problem is they just become so subsumed in that data that it's quite hard to extricate what are the really important points um, and then to explain yes. it in a way that everybody else can understand. Okay, I think I'm saying something slightly different, which is like accountants hold um, the key to kind of your success. Like, what am I trying mm. to say? It's actually much, it's much more interesting what accountants are doing than what they think they're doing. Oh, like, well, absolutely. They seem yeah. to think that they, it's just about complying with whatever the tax laws are or just nearly complying with whatever the tax laws are or bending the tax rules as much as you can. But actually, like the function of money in your business is what the accountants do, and that's how you're going to be successful. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. So that's your second group is accountants, mm -hmm. and you that's mainly about making them interesting because they don't believe they're interesting. And yeah. the third one is marketing Agency. agencies. So when you say... Ag agencies of all types, you know, marketing agencies, PR agencies, SEO agencies, digital agencies, design agencies, I've worked with all sorts of types. But, you know, having run an agency myself, you know, because I understand that world. So, yeah, that's why I end up doing a lot of work there. Yes. I'm getting shouted at from downstairs, so I'm going to have to message them so they know I'm on a call. They already know I'm on a call, by the way, but they are still shouting at me anyway. Um, so the, the interesting thing for me about that then is, and it's a broader point, but it's the same, mm. which is why are marketing agents, they're all market types of marketing agency that you deal with, yeah? PR, SEO design yeah. why are they so bad at selling themselves why do they struggle like, i can understand why um, accountants struggle to sell themselves or find a pitch or find what's interesting about themselves mm. but surely marketing people that's their job is to find the interesting thing in something yeah. <laughs> supposed to be here. you've got a company this is say hello to devon look dude, hey devon hello hello, hello. hello. Okay, so that's the little bit that will get cut. That's right. So you're um, asking about what, what is it about why do agencies struggle? Yes. And I can tell you what most what, what a lot of their struggles are about is differentiation. Because you know, if, a, if, it, if I'm working with a PR agency, you know, if a client has put out a, 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 a call to tender and they are now having pitches from let's say three agencies, those three agencies all have the same set of journalists they can reach. They all have the same set of influencers they can reach. It's not like one agency who say, oh, we've got this Sunday paper that nobody else can reach. Um, or we've got access to the biggest YouTuber that nobody else can. All the agencies do pretty much the same thing. Marketing agencies all do pretty much the same thing. So the pitches tend to end up being very similar. And I spend a lot of my time helping them differentiate themselves from the other agencies. And it's not it's often not about the services because the services are pretty much the same. Anybody can buy Facebook advertising space. You know, the, what it becomes about is what's, what's the experience of working with you like? How do we differentiate in terms of what you, you know, who you are and how you work and what the working experience is like far more than the services. Trying to differentiate your services is very, very hard in this age because I say all agencies do very much the same. So it is, yeah, a lot of it's around differentiation and that can come down to how you pitch. So I worked with a design agency a while back who were struggling because they were going, like every other design agency, they were going in with a deck of PowerPoint slides 
and you know showing you here's our creds and here's you know here's some ideas and examples of our work and what have you and the, every pitch was the same so it was like okay what are we missing here actually what we're missing is any sense of design so what they now do is they go into a pitch situation or when we were in the room uh, with a with a scroll large roll of paper they will ask all the people sat around the meeting table to clear their mugs clear their glasses clear their laptops and they will unroll this piece of paper down the table some stuff will be pre-drawn or pre-written on it, but then the team from the design agency will actually go around and stand between the people at the table so they can reach this scroll and they will start to design. And as the person who is pitching talks, the designers will actually then draw, draw and write and do some design. And the clients love it because they can see design in action. They can see that this agency have taken a new approach, that they're seeing design creation from the rest. And most companies are like, oh my God, can we keep the scroll? To which, of course, the agency say, if you take us on, of course you can. Um, but otherwise, they roll it up and it gets taken away. And then it gets presented back to them when they win the contract. Uh, so, yeah. And, you know, so it's finding new ways of delivering. If you are going into a pitch with a deck of PowerPoint slides, you are about to, to deliver a really boring pitch. Um, there are other ways of doing things that a lot of agencies still haven't done. The big problem at the moment. Uh, is that a lot of agencies are still trying to deliver their offline pitch online. So I'm seeing slides with, you know, just rows and rows of logos of, of previous clients. And I'm seeing huge amounts of text, lots of bullet points. And those sorts of slides don't work on a small screen. You have to bear in mind that some of the people may be watching your presentation on their phone. So your slides have got to be readable and legible and interesting and engaging on a screen that size. So it's, yeah, that's what a lot of my time is spent with at the moment with agencies is at the moment is helping them design online pitches rather than what trying to do offline, online stuff. Uh, and it's helping differentiate how, what is the experience of working with you like that's different to another agency? And it's, it's tricky. Some agencies really struggle with it. But the, what's missing from so many presentations is creativity. They'll come in and say, we're a really creative agency. And it's like, well, if you have to tell me you're creative, you're clearly not. Um, yes. You know, it's like, you know, if you have to tell me, you know, people come saying, oh, we're really passionate. If you have to tell me you're passionate, you're clearly not. It, you know, your creativity and your passion should come across in, quite frankly, what you wear, what you say, the way you can walk into the room, certainly in terms of the way you present your, your, your pitch. Um, and so many agencies actually will just roll it out. I was talking to an agency owner a few weeks ago about this, and she, had, she admitted to me that they had, big um almost 200 person agency she admitted they haven't won a single pitch in the last year uh and you know but i was looking at them and they were like they were present they were pitching um from their front rooms without any sort of thought of what was behind them they weren't using anything like ecam or obs or any of the tools that are available to us now that we can actually use to make these things look, look great so and it was like working through quite a basic level um of what needs to be done it's also so many agencies rely on one or two people to do all the pitches um when actually you need a team who can do it who can you know play to their strengths if you've got a high energy client you probably want to send a high energy picture you've got may have somebody different who's goes to, to to your accountancy firm sort of thing um and then it's it's about finding the message that resonates um a lot of people aren't doing much research with a potential client this agency owner I was talking to, she admitted that she would like, she'd have a day of meetings, jump off a call, go into a pitch, pitch for 45 minutes, and then come back out. And I was like, so how much rehearsal have you done? Oh, none. And it's like, well, if you're not rehearsing, it's never going to be good. 
you know, and, he, and she said, well, yeah, you know, I've got a standard deck. And it's like, well, again, that is not going to be good. If you're presenting a standard deck, it's going to be it's going to be standard. It's going to be generic. And do you really want to come across as a generic agency? So, yeah, I've, it does. It's something that winds me up, quite frankly, but I enjoy helping them unpick. And yeah, it's lovely. You can suddenly see that light bulb moment when they go, oh, OK, I can see why we're struggling with this now. And then they and it's like just unleash your creativity. Yes. OK, brilliant. Because I think the issue is like that is like you say that all marketing companies do the same thing. Well, if you're a Facebook agency, then maybe, you know, you are just buying ads. Hmm. But surely the role of a marketing agency is to look for and kind of nourish that differentiation in you to make you look better or different. And I think that the, the people need agencies because it's hard to do that for yourself. It's they hard do. to look from the inside and see. Yeah, but, and they absolutely do. But put yourself in the client's position. They're sat in a meeting room or sat on a Zoom call and they see three agencies come in of a morning. You know, you've got a nine o'clock, a 10 o'clock, an 11 o'clock pitch. And what they see is very, very similar from each agency. Yes. And in fact, most, if you talk to, to clients about why did you buy us? Why did you book us? It doesn't tend to be, oh, because you know, you're, 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 you had a, a really interesting tool that nobody else had, or you had a better strategy approach than other people. What they tend to say is, we really liked you. You seemed much more fun. You seemed more creative. You seemed more energetic. You seem more relaxed. That's what, when it comes to it, so many pitches are so similar, the decision is often not on anything really to do with the business. Because as I say, if you're faced with three marketing agencies, they're all going to be able to help you reach your market. You know, it's not as if one of them is going to be, oh God, they're, they're never going to be able to do it. It's a, it, a lot of it will come down to the people to people relationships, how you come across, how you pitch, how creative you are. That's the stuff. It, so it tends to be around the, the, the softer skills, if you like, and the soft, the way you present, than it is actually about what you present. Yes. Good. Brilliant. So it sounds then like a lot of what you're doing is, and the way we're talking about it now, it sounds like presenting is almost like the purest form of marketing. It, uh, it can be. Or, or yeah. pitching. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. because it's not it mediated. And then when what you say, yes. So yeah. maybe it's just the pinnacle of marketing. It's certainly one of them because actually to be able to, you know, to be invited to come and spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes delivering your message to an audience is a privilege. And I always one of the things I often coach people on is is you have to remember it's a privilege and you have to earn the audience's attention. You know, in this day and age, they could all be sat there checking their emails very easily. Um, you have to earn their attention. And it is a privilege to be to be given the opportunity to stand on a stage and speak. So, yeah, but you have then you have this time to sort of say what you want. And it's the mistake I see too many people making is they will just go into their creds. They'll spend too long talking, you know, this is who we are and this is my background and this is why I've, this is where I come from. And, and then suddenly, actually, their content is all constituted in the last 10 minutes. Uh, so you have to remember that your audience want value. They don't want a sales pitch. And it's about what's in it for them. Too many people focus on what's in it for me as a presenter, but put yourself in the audience's shoes. When you stand up to speak, when you are introduced onto that stage, what do the audience sit there thinking? What do they want? The first thing they want is they want this to be engaging. 
and they wanted to be to an extent fun entertaining um and i'm not even don't mean jazz hands you know but then the second thing is they want relevance it has to be relevant and useful to them so if you can start you know if you're putting together a speech or a presentation you think okay is this engaging is this relevant to my audience and is this useful then you're you're on the way to, to putting together a good presentation I often say to people, if people go away and do one thing differently as a result of what you have told them, what do you want that to be? And build your presentation around that. Brilliant. And I think that is true of all content. Yeah. yeah. Um, and kind of all marketing and all messaging. Okay, so here's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. How much of it is content? And how much of it is delivery? Hmm. And this will take us hopefully into the, the other part of what you must be doing, which is teaching people how to present this well. Yeah. I wouldn't give you, I can't really give you a percentage. I don't think there is a percentage. It's, it's, it's going to be a percentage, Steve. It's got to be a percentage. It's got to be a percentage. No, it's not. Because, you know, but you've got to have, yeah, if you haven't, if you've got, crap content it doesn't matter how good a presenter you are it's not going to resonate with an audience i say if anything okay so it's it's probably easier if you you can be if you've got great content and you're not a brilliant presenter you're probably going to go further than a brilliant presenter with crap content because people see through bullshit very fast whereas they recognize that presenting is tough and they recognize but they recognize when they're hearing good stuff it could maybe just be presented better so it probably is i think probably content is actually more important than the necessary than your presentation skills um so and i suppose on. people take confidence from the content you know if they know yeah. they've got something good then they're going to be more comfortable presenting yeah it. and they will make a judgment very fast is this going to be relevant to me is this actually going to be relevant to me my job my role is this going to make my life easier in some way is this some is this useful um and it's one of the issues I have with things like TED Talks and TEDx Talks, because they're all about one big idea. I think a lot of them are theoretically really interesting, but actually have very little practical application. Um, and I think the better TED Talks are ones that actually have some sort of practical application or at least a call to action. If there's no call to action to go at the end of a speech, what was the point of giving it? If there isn't something yes. that people can go and do or think or say differently, why do it? Yeah, and I'm with you. I think if you've got, I kind of do the, the calculations. So if I've got 100 people for 10 minutes, that is, what is that? That's a thousand minutes of somebody's life. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. That's a thousand minutes in total. Yeah. And so I'm always really interested, if I possibly can, to deliver some value in that. And that might be why my stand-up comedy was so preachy. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't preachy. But, you know, I'm, like, really aware of that. What really upsets me, really upsets me, is when people pitch. I hate that. Like, I yeah. will get enraged. If I'm in an audience yeah, and somebody's on a pitch and, like, in seconds and you're sitting there thinking, I've got 10 minutes of this or I've got 20 minutes of this or half an hour. Yeah. Like, I could yeah. walk out. I think... So what I'm interested in, I did a presentation called Present Like a Mother. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you have to do. Yes. Um, and what was the point of that? The point of that was um, like people think that the audience are going to openly revolt. They're going to come at mm -hmm. them with pitchforks and stuff. Yeah. And that rarely happens. 
I no. feel like doing that if I realise I'm like 20 seconds into a 20 minute long pitch. I feel like getting a pitchfork. But audiences are very forgiving, do you think? Yeah, oh God, yeah. They want you to do well. Yes. You know, watching a bad presentation is excruciating. You know, if you've got, if you can see somebody is suffering being up there, the whole audience suffers with them. Um, and so, yeah, you've got to, that's why I say you've got to entertain an audience to an extent. Um, you know, but an audience, yeah, is on your side. They want you to do well and they want to get something from it. If they're going to give you the their attention, if they're going to give you uh, their eyeballs and their ears, they want something back. You know, it has to be a two-way process between you and the audience uh, if you're presenting. And too many people stand up on a stage and just are in their heads. They're not in the moment. They're not in the room. And they just stand up and recite. Uh, and it's one of my big bugbears. It's one of the things I do a lot of work on with people is getting them off a script. And I always say, don't you, you sorry, you sh know what you want to say, but don't know your words. You know, don't be scripted. Because as soon as again, you can always tell, if, particularly if somebody's standing there reading it. But if somebody's just standing there sort of reciting as an audience, you lose contact and lose rapport very fast because you want yes. somebody who's talking to you and with you, not at you. Absolutely. Okay. So how does that look then? Are, are people coming to you largely because they don't know what it is they're supposed to be saying? or because they don't know how they should be presenting or they don't have the confidence to present? What is the, what is the pain Mixed, point? Mixture, but a lot of the confidence or, or not having confidence around presenting is because they don't really know what they should be saying. So if you can help them develop great content, and this is where you talk about relevance and, and, and you know, entertainment and engagement and all that sort of stuff, then actually their confidence will soar. It's also the big one for me is rehearsal. So many people don't rehearse their presentations or pitches. And rehearsal is, again, is what will give you confidence because you know how to say it. You know that you, you know, you, you know where you go from one topic to the next. You know what the junctions are. And actually, that will give you the ability to deliver um, confidently and look more relaxed. And you can take your time because you know that actually this 20 minutes, you've got the content you need to fill that 20 minutes. You're not going to overrun. You're not going to run up short. Um, so, yeah, confidence is around so many different things. Having confidence in your own um content is a key part of it um it's not just about oh my god i'm going to stand up there and, and melt um it is it's 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 a it's a whole process yes and i'm with you so how do you then coach people through that i mean is that the way you see it are, are you having to coach people through that like there's stats isn't there they say that um people's greatest fear after death is public speaking. No, no, public speaking comes top. Um, Does it? Do you people, believe yeah. that? I know, it's, it's quite, crazy. I actually do have a, I have a t-shirt which says, um, your greatest fear is how I make a living. Um, to which some people go up going, what, spiders? Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it is true. Look, yeah, there are polls which says people are more scared of public speaking than they are of death. And there is an element right, but yeah, it's I, not true is it it can't be true because if you go to someone and say like either i'm going to kill you now or you have to get up on stage they will definitely get up, get on, up stage on stage and present yeah, exactly exactly so yeah um okay good sorry i cut you off don't worry don't worry um but there is are, that yeah, the issue that you're addressing that's what i'm interested to know like yeah i mean there are people who do like come to coaching you, people yeah some people do have deep-seated psychological issues around their own confidence and so much of it is it's not just about presenting it's about self-confidence and self-belief and all those sorts of things 
with those, I mean, I have colleagues in the, in the speech coaching world who specialize in helping people with psychological issues. And I know, I know people who've gone through hypnotherapy and all those sorts of things. Um, and I would never try to do that. I, I will always pass people onto a specialist if I think they need that sort of help. But for most people, it's about actually, they've never really had the practice. They've never had somebody critique them and help them hone it. Um, they can't do it themselves. And they don't just don't quite know where to start. So they just get it on their heads. Oh my God. And there's also, you know, there is this, um, I suppose it's a myth in the corporate world that presenting is hard. You should be nervous about presenting, that this can be career changing. And sure, it can be, but actually it can also be great fun. It can be a great way to boost your reputation, to impress your boss, to get yourself promoted and all these sorts of things. So it's helping people understand what they actually want to get out of the presentation. And then as I say, it's going back to this thing about, do you actually know what you want to say? How are you going to put it across? You know, how can we make it stand out? And then rehearsing it. So I can't stress how important rehearsal is, and it's the one step most people miss out. Right. Is there not a danger, though, if you are rehearsing, that it becomes, it starts to sound scripted, it starts to sound like you are reciting it? Is, is that a bit. A there is an element, but it's, it's rare. Um, I mean, and it tends to happen when people have started with a longhand script. And it's one of the reasons right. I don't let people write a longhand script when I'm working with them. Um, we'll write bullet points and we'll have structure, but we don't have a script because as soon as you have a script, yeah, people will start reciting it. And it goes back to what I said about don't know, you know, know what you want to say, but don't know your words. Um, so you can, you know, you, if you know that you need to talk about um, where we've come from, where we're going and where we're going to, you know, and past, present, future is a, just a classic presentation structure. You can talk, you should be able to talk through that. Another way I get people, if people are really, really nervous about stringing together long pieces of content, I will um, encourage them to use a format like FAQs. So it's like, here are the 10 things you need to know about marketing your business. Number one, you need to know about social media. Number two, you need to know about number two. And actually I'll get people to structure it that way. Because if I asked you, if I asked most people in marketing, how should you be marketing your business? Most people talk about it pretty easily. So if you turn it into, into a, ostensibly a one-sided Q&A where you're asking yourself the questions and then answering it, that can actually help people go through it. It's when people know they've got 25 minutes and they've got to fit it and they don't quite know how to start, how to stop, and how to structure it. But that's when they run into problems. Right. So how much um, rehearsal are you recommending? If, I, if, I, if I'm presenting next month, I've got a presentation and it's important and I've got 20 minutes, hmm. how much rehearsal should I be doing? Uh, you, should have, you should have run it out loud at least three times. Uh, the first time you video it, so you prop up your phone in the corner, you video it, and you watch it back and critique it. And you'll be your own harshest critic by a country mile. Um, and what? just look at what you're saying, how you're saying it. Are you droning? Is your body, What's your body language like? Does it make sense? Is the structure? That sort of stuff. You then hone it, you know, so you, you make the net changes necessary, and then you rehearse it again in front of somebody. So a colleague, your partner online present it again and get their feedback hone it and then rehearse it again in its final form and then you take it out and deliver it so you know i would say a minimum of three times um some people will rehearse you know rehearse it over and over and over again and yes there is a danger of it starting to sound scripted but it's why i try to keep people away from a a set of words um you know the other thing i'm seeing a lot of them people saying oh i get interrupted when i'm presenting um, people want to, you know, they start want to ask questions and I then lose my place. And it's like, yeah, and that's the problem. If you're in a script, you're in your head. Um, whereas if you are just chatting to somebody, a presentation should be a conversation 
really one one-sided conversation but it should still be a, a give and take um if you're interrupted then it's much easier to jump back to where you want to be rather than going oh my god which words did i said and which sentence did i finished and things yeah that will throw you okay good so this was my issue with stand-up comedy I mm -hmm. thought stand-up comedy was going to be so much more fun than it was because what I didn't realize is that the whole thing is scripted and basically you're reciting a script. Yeah. And that actually scared the shit out of me because, because you've seen me present. Hmm. I've never spent a second in rehearsal. You know, I've got, I've got my slides and they're the prompts. And if I run out of things to say, then I just start interrogating the audience. That's kind yeah. of my style. And I kind of enjoy it. So my question to you then is, do you have a speaking coach? How much kind of training have you undertaken to get to where you are now? Or yeah. are you a natural at this? That's the question. Yeah, no, no, I absolutely, I have a couple of people who I will go to. If I'm putting together a new speech, a new keynote, um, I will absolutely go to, I have, a, I have two people um, who I work with for different reasons. One is a paid coach. One is, is, is a colleague and we sort of coach each other. Um, so I will run content out for them. They will critique it. They will give you feedback. Um, and then I will make it better from there. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, yeah, you can, you can absolutely critique yourself. You will be far harsher than anybody else. And often you won't focus on the important bits. Um, so I think it is important to, you know, to, to, to have something. And it's one of the reasons, I mean, I now have a, I have a couple of clients who I work with on an ongoing basis because they want to have a speech coach on call. So I have a chap who works for a pharmaceutical company in Zurich who will ring me going, okay, I've got to give this speech on Monday or I've got this coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Can we prep? Sometimes he comes to me saying, I've already written it. Can, you, can we just get the delivery right? Sometimes he comes to me saying, I haven't got a clue what I'm going to say here and I will help develop, develop his speech with him. Um, okay. So you know, some people actually see it as an ongoing part of their professional development. I also then get a lot of people going, ringing me up going, oh my God, I've got to give this presentation on Thursday and I really am, I'm shitting myself. Where do I go from here? So, you know, it's, yeah, some people, some people see it as personal development and professional development and will absolutely want to hone it. Other people, it's a panicky thing. Right. So, um, so before you started speaking, before you started presenting, did you, did you get some coaching then or did you just, you said you just found yourself doing it? And yeah, you know, I mean, I did. Yeah. I've, you know, even at school, I, I was. Think, sorry, I think you're a natural. I and I think there are naturals. I think yeah. there are people who just, like, for me, if I'm standing in front of a group of people, that's I'm in my flow state. That is yeah. the best thing that can happen to me. You know, yeah. and I'm absolutely buzzing, and I've never been nervous, and I've never had to re rehearse anything, and I could probably stand up and give you 15 minutes on hundred different subjects at like five minutes notice mm -hmm. um and i think you're in that camp and then it's like they say like professional like really good footballers struggle to become managers because they don't understand why people aren't so on as good as as they were can't do the things yeah. they did and i mean thank you for saying i'm a natural and i'm you know I, i'm aware i have a i seem to have a talent for it and people seem to like my persona on stage and and in fact one of the biggest compliments i can get is when people say you're exactly the same on stage as you are off stage i don't have a stage performance persona um and i my my, my style is very informal it's very chatty it's why i like comp comparing and emceeing work so much because i can it means i can bounce off an audience far more i'm not stuck in i'm not sort of trying to deliver a certain set of words um but Yes, there are certainly naturals. Um, 
but even now, you know, I work at it. And one of the reasons, one of the ways I can make it look easy when I'm on stage is because I would have rehearsed it and checked it and I do my research and I would have prepared it and things. And then I could, that means I can relax into it because I know what I'm doing. Um, I hate that feeling of bullshitting my way through it, quite frankly. I mean, flying by the seat of my pants, I don't mind, but, you know, and I've done quite a lot of improv. Um, you know, and like you, I did stand up and actually I prefer improv because there's no script to learn because you make it up yes. on the spot. And it's what was go- so good about improv is it taught me to be playful and it taught me that I could, you know, trust myself that if the brown stuff hits the big revolving thing, something vaguely relevant will come out of my mouth um, and I can respond to what's going on around me. And it's, you know, I, I, I you know, I actually quite enjoy it when not necessarily when things go wrong, but when the unexpected happens and being able to, to respond accordingly. Um, that's quite fun. So it is, there is an element of, I think, yeah, natural talent. Uh, there's an element of having done the training, having done the coaching, doing the preparation and what have you to make it look easy. You know, there's the old adage about, you know, it, it takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. Yes, there is that adage. And the one thing I didn't enjoy about the, the professional speakers association is that it was very, formal and very kind of formula not formulate but formal and i suppose yeah. what i don't know is if some people like if if this is something that you find difficult maybe that's what they need do you know what i mean Whereas- yeah i mean there's two big organizations around there's toastmasters which is a great place to go if you just want to practice speaking and you want to get feedback and and you want to get um they're they're, they're real tartars on things like um never umming or ahhing and unless it's a part of natural speech, we all do it. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, and then the so Toastmasters will teach you how to speak to an extent. And they have a very clear your house style. Your R's. Yeah, I've been to those meetings. They'll count the ums and the yeah. R's. Yeah, and yeah. mark you down. It's absolutely. Very, it's very judgmental. Very, judge, very judgmental. That is exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Uh, uh, and I think the problem with Toastmasters is they have a house style that you're yes. taught. So, I mean, I can spot when a speaker walks on stage within 20 seconds of them opening their mouth, I probably shorter than that. I can go, Oh, okay. They've done Toastmasters. There's a very clear house. Your hand as soon as they get on stage. Yeah. When they want to yeah. shake hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they, so there is this house, which I, which I, yeah, I don't particularly like, but Hey, it works for them. And I know a lot of people love Toastmasters. The professional speaking association, the PSA is slightly different in as much as it, it will do give you help to improve your speaking. It, we don't tend to work with absolute beginners in terms of people who've never spoken before. But the most important difference is we teach you how to make money out of it. So we're as much a business support organization as a training company or a training organization for speaking. So there is certainly an element where you will, you know, you, your, speak, your speaking will be improved, partly through the opportunity to showcase and receive critique and feedback. But actually, we'll teach you how to make money out of it. A lot of it's about the business side of it, uh, which is yes. different. Okay, good. Right, good. When I, when people say they're scared of speaking or presenting, mm. this goes back to this presentation, like this present like a mother thing that I did. What I say to people is that you, if it's going right, if it's intentioned well, you are the least important person in that room because mm. what you're supposed to be doing is to be delivering value for that audience. And if you're if you're scared about you it's almost like there's no not there's no room because we've all seen it happen 
but like the more ego there is in this, the less effective you're going to be. Does that make sense? So if you're thinking yeah. about you, you're in trouble. If you're talking about you, you're in trouble. Mm. I don't know. Is that valid what I'm saying? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, the most important p person in the room is not the speaker. It's the audience member. Um, yes. You know, you are there to provide value for them and you are there to engage them and entertain them and to make it relevant and useful, et cetera, all those things we've talked about. Uh, and yeah, ego does get in the way. You know, you I see a lot of people and it's like, I want to talk all about me and here's my personal story and here's my business journey and all this stuff. So yeah, fine, great. What's the relevance to me? I'm, I'm not great. I don't particularly enjoy motivational speakers for a similar reason. Um, I'm just like, I don't want the platitudes. I don't, I'm, I'm you know, am I impressed you've climbed Everest? Fine, fill your boots, do it. Not something that interests me. And then it's like they're trying to then extrapolate a, a lesson that we can all take from them having climbed Everest and how we all need to, you know, um, remember that it's all it's not just about getting to the top. It's about helping each other. And all this stuff. Oh, yeah. All right. Whatever. So it just doesn't float my boat at all. I want something useful yes. that I can apply to my life, to my business now, not platitudes. And I think too many people, particularly in that motivational, inspirational speaking sphere, um, talking platitudes. Uh, so. I've lost track of actually where, 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 where this question started. Um, ego. They shouldn't be talking ego. about yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, you, need a certain, you do need a certain amount of ego to be able to say to somebody, right, I want you to listen to me for the next 45 minutes because I have got something to say. I can help change your business or I can help change your life. It does require a certain amount of ego to want to do it. And that's the thing. If people haven't got that ego, they will often, you know, that's when the, the, the nurse will kick in. But if people are come to me and they are really nervous, I will talk them through and say, what's the worst that could happen? And they're like, I could forget what I'm going to say. It's like, okay, let's talk about prompts. Let's talk about what's going to, you know, we're not going to have a written, handwritten, a full written script, but we can talk about how you prompt. You can always just go to Q&A. Um, yes. You know, there are there are ways around it. If, if you're completely blank, there are tried and tested techniques to get you out of it. Um, and what's the worst that can happen? And people go, oh, but I might, I might fall over. It's like, when was the last time you fell over? If you're falling over regularly, go and see a doctor. Um <laughs> You know, or I might, you know, I might, I just go really red and I sweat a lot. It's like, fine, wear a lightweight jacket and just, you know, set out to be as comfortable as you can be and, and acknowledge that this is how your nerves manifest and get on with it. Um, you know, people build up this enormous, this big thing in their mind. I think for a lot of people, the anticipation is actually far worse than the reality. Um, once oh, they're up oh, and off and running, they're fine. And a lot of people, you know, they come off stage going, oh my God, that went so fast. Um, so most people pr prepare far too much content because they're terrified of running out of things to say on the whole it's tricky if you're speaking at a big formal conference and you massively underrun there is a bit of an issue because the you know, the program is is timed a certain way but if you're speaking in a meeting which is how most people present is in internally it's something to their team or in, in a meeting or whatever that presentation was too short said no one ever <laughs> you know it doesn't it's like if you if you've got 20 minutes it doesn't mean you have to fill it if you can say what you need to say and what the audience needs from you in 10 most audience members would rather have a 10 minute extra break than than, than try and listen to you pad and fill time so most people massively over prepare and then they end up they spend ages talking about their introduction uh they try and fit the content and then they're desperately desperately trying to squeeze everything in at the end and it's one of the things you know the art of the edit is a big part of presenting um, and yes. knowing how much content you actually need is sort of is quite an important part of it these days. Yes, I saw a meme recently, um, which was um, you should remember that everyone who ever died on Mount Everest, Everest was once a highly motivated person. 
Yeah. So maybe just calm down. I think um, I just like that. So I thought I'd share it. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's, have you ever got to the point with someone where you've just said to them, look, it's much better that you find somebody else to do this. You're clearly not going to be able to do this. No, I will tend to suggest that they do go and see somebody with, with a, a psychological background or a hypnotherapist or whatever to, to counter that. Um, have I ever actually told somebody not to present? I don't think I have. Um, no, I, if, if they are in that much trouble, I will get make sure they're seeing the right person. Because, you know, I would say I, I don't have that set, of, that set of skills. You know, I'm not trained in those those practices, so I will send people off to, to see somebody who's right. Um, I will. I have, I have occasionally suggested to particularly to, to an agency, maybe this isn't the right person to pitch, um, you know, or maybe you need to, to, to support them so that actually you take maybe they just do a section of the pitch, not the whole thing. Because you often, sometimes you will have one person who has a very specific set of expertise that you need to introduce, and they're just not a very good presenter with it. Um, so it may be that we just, you know, we give them a little bit of the presentation and, and, and get other people to, to, to work around it. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I think anybody, if you can stand up and say, hello, my name is, this is what I do, and this is why I'd like to talk to you. I think most people could, you know, should be able to get through it. You sh it it's, it's, it's not that difficult. But I'm aware I say that as somebody who quite enjoys being on stage and, and a lot of people loathe it. And exactly. Okay, good. So the, the current thing, the, what's been going on in the last 18 months and everybody mm. presenting online, mm. um, how does that change? You say that you've kind of been busy with this in the last 18 months. Yeah. So how does that change? I've given up on, this is my third kind of studio setup. But up until the pandemic, I had a huge blackboard behind me. It was really cool. And then and the pan pandemic came, I had to move. And, right. and that didn't come with me. And then I've got a huge, great big, long four and a half meter wide screen, back screen that went up for about a month. And then some refurbishments happened and nobody realized that this thing shouldn't be smashed up. And so this mm -hmm. is it. But I've thought a little bit like there's a light on my surf photos, for example. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've thought about it a little bit. But the amount of people who have been presenting as this is how you present online with awful, awful setups. Yeah. I mean, you, you certainly need to spend a little bit of time doing it. You know, and it is little things, like you say, having having a little bit of light behind you, but you don't want too much light behind you because you're silhouette. So actually it's having light in front. So I'm, I'm currently working for my spare room because we have building work going on. Um, so I don't have my usual studio set up, but I make sure the window is in front of me. So that there is light and actually natural light is always good. Um, it's quite yes. soft, so it, it, it eliminates me. Although it's interesting, in the course of this call, it's gone from being bright and sunny outside to being cloudy. And I'm aware this side of my face is actually now in more shadow because the light in, it has changed around me. That is the downside. You've got of the Michelangelo this. triangle here. Is that what they yeah. call it? The Michelangelo? Something like that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's basically it's, it's making sure that people can hear you properly. Um, I think... I do think some people have gone too far and there is this big thing. Oh my God, if you haven't got a proper studio set up, you shouldn't be doing it. And if you don't have, you know, green screening and, and all this sort of stuff, and you don't have OBS or Ecamm, the sort of those sorts of systems, which I don't tend to use. I do have Ecamm, but I actually very, very rarely use it because on the whole, most clients just want, they like, keep it simple. Um, yes. So I think, yeah, as long as we can see you clearly and hear you clearly and your background doesn't distract, I think that's okay. 
The bigger issue for me in terms of the move on the last 18 months is people using, still using slides and other visual images that they that they used to use in a big room and they're still using them on a big on a small screen so i'm still seeing you know sheets of with tiny text on or or you know four graphs on one slide and actually we can't read any of them because even on my laptop screen it's still only that big whereas put those four graphs onto four separate slides and move through them slightly faster or overlay them if you need to compare you know the the, the passage of, of of the data um there are ways to make your visuals far more suitable for a small screen you know much bigger text far less text per slide bigger graphics that sort of stuff um so too many people have just taken their offline stuff and are trying to dump it online it's a different format it's a different channel it's like going from listening to the radio to watching tv it's always gonna have to be different so people have to accept that and i get a sense also because um i spoke to james always on these things and he was saying that it's almost more of a privilege it's more difficult to get a meeting with people now because essentially you're being invited into their homes mm. so when they if they have a video meeting with you you're in their house you see their kids come storming in um, yeah. you know blah blah um which was really interesting to me because that hadn't occurred to me at all it's like the whole world thought well we can just do this on zoom now mm. but clearly there are issues with that that people don't necessarily consider Mm. Um, and you and, sound great how come you sound so good today what have you done i haven't actually done anything in fact this is just on the because i because i'm at home i don't have my usual setup this is just the mic on the laptop um no so way. it's a uh, radio voice well i suppose i mean yeah i know i know and also i am i am projecting slightly i'm talking slightly more energetically and slightly louder than i might do if we were just having a uh, a regular chat um but also i'm in a space that has carpet on the floor um, there's quite a lot of stuff around me, so that's going to be absorbing some of the sound as well. So there's actually quite a lot of, sort of baffle material around me, which is nice. Um, that helps soften okay, the sound. Good. You just do sound great. <laughs> Thank you. You sound great, and you look like the sort of person that a slightly older lady would be attracted to. That's that's your trouble, Steve. Well, clearly, I know of at least eighteen women who've dated me online. So um, yeah, but that's a huge privilege for them. As long as your husband doesn't find out, we're good. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what's your recommendation then? So what's your recommendation if I if I want a career as a speaker, which I might, mm -hmm. or if I am having to present, if, if I'm, I'm finding myself having to present, hmm. what is your recommendation in those Okay, terms? well, those are two different sort of two different things if people are looking to want to get in as a professional speaker and it's it's a it's a fun way to earn a living i have to say um you've got to understand very clearly uh what do you want to talk on and you've got to have quite a specific topic who do you want to talk to and to what end i.e what do you want that pe that set of people to do um so those those are the three questions i do a lot of work with people who come to me saying oh, i want to establish myself as a, as a speaker and we do a lot of work on those questions and it's surprising how many professional speakers take several years and i count myself amongst them to really nail down what you speak on uh in terms of people are they've they've just got a presentation coming up and they're not quite sure where to start i would say um get help or yeah there are lots of really good presenting books out there uh, there's lots of content on YouTube. I and mean, I have a YouTube channel full of tips. Um, so, you know, go and look at other people. Start practicing. 
rehearse, all those sorts of things. Um, a good presentation happens in the preparation, not on the podium. It's quite a good way of thinking about this. You know, it's it's not just about your presentation skills when you're standing up in front of the audience. It's all about how you prepare. Um, so it, yeah, that's again, this is what I spend a lot of my time doing with people is actually in the preparation stage. And then we'll get to the end where we actually right now, let's, let's work on how you deliver it and the, and the actual presentation skills and the stage craft. Brilliant. Cool. I think we've been going for about an hour and 15 minutes. So it feels yeah. to me like we got to the end. Is there something you wanted to say that you haven't said? No, we've covered a lot. It's been quite wide ranging, which is good. It's good. I've really enjoyed it. It's been really good to see you again, man. Yeah, after and you. all of this time. Um, so here, I'm going to give you an assumptive close. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. So who are the two people that you recommend I speak to on my talk marketing mission? Um, uh, I think I might reach out to Julia. I think I was going to say Julia Chantere. I, I have a lot of time for Julia. She's great. Um, <laughs> Who else is good at the moment on marketing? Um, or even more broadly, so things hmm. like, so what's interesting is what I've heard from you today is how you are kind of marketing your creativity, your ability to be able to find a value point and, and find interesting ways of, of, um, of sharing that, that value yeah. point. So I'm interested in like storytelling and things like that. I'm interested in, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, oh, okay. Who's good on storytelling? Um, I know. I'd it have doesn't to have to be that. It could be somebody who's just interesting about sales and marketing. Giving you the hard close here, aren't I, Steve? It's I and say I'm just. I'm, I'm, yeah. I need. I need to have a think about who the who the best people would be. Um, I mean, there's lots of sales speakers and, and people out there. They are not all great. There's a guy called Tony Morris who runs a sales training company. He's very good. Um, I need to look it up. I need to Google it to work it to find out what his company's called. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, let me see if I can find him. Um, I think he would be he would be very good, and, and I you know he's he's quite active on social uh, and that, those sorts of things. Hang on, Tony, TonyMorrisInternational.com. Um, Is he an older guy? No, no, he's, young, he's younger oh. than me. Um, okay. Well, you're 68, aren't you? Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. I didn't mean to put such a hard close on you then, but I'm right. really impressed that I could still do it if I have to do it. Man, this has been so cool. Thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, I think. It's really interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I'm going to allow you to leave and enjoy the rest of your afternoon if there's nothing else you want to say. No, we've covered a lot. It's been great fun. It's been good. It's been uh, really good fun. Thank you so much, man. And um, let's not leave it maybe, I don't know how long it's been, six, seven years ago. Well, absolutely. And let me know when you put this up and I can share it and things as well. So That would be really cool. It will go up on Tuesday. Okay. Talk Marketing Tuesday, that's the thing. TMT. Excellent. Do you like an acronym? <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you Alrighty. so much, Steve. You're very welcome. Good to talk to you. Cheers, man. Bye. Yeah, bye.